Lord, we come before you and we ask you just to bless this time as we come together and we look at the word and, and see what you'd have us to learn from this. And we just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Numbers chapter 15. Uh, remember last week we talked about the, the Israelites turning their back on the promised land because they saw themselves as too weak to take the enemy on. And so, and then they, and then after they were told not to, not to try to take the enemy on, they decided they were going to go, you know, they got mad at God for telling them to go away and they decided they would try to do it on their own, on their own and got beat really bad. Oh. So, so here we are, uh, Romans, yeah, Numbers 15. <laughs> and the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when you come into the land of your habitation, which I give unto you, I will... And will make an offering by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering and a sacrifice and performing a vow, and, a free, and in a free will offering, and in your solemn feast, and, and make a sweet savor unto the Lord of the herd or of the flock. Then shall he that offer his offering unto the Lord bring a meat offering of a tenth deal of flour mingled with a fourth part of a hin of oil, and the fourth part of the hin of wine for a drink offering shall you prepare for the burnt offerings of, or sacrifices of one lamb. Or for a ram, you shall prepare a meat offering of two deals of flour mingled with three parts of, of a hin of oil. Excuse me. Two deals of flour mingled with a third part of a hin of oil. And for a drink oil offering, you shall offer a third part of a hin of wine for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And when you prepare the bullock for a burnt offering or a sacrifice in performing the vow or peace offering unto the Lord, then you sh then he shall he then shall he bring a bullock a meat offering of three tenths deal of flour mingled with a half a hen of oil, and you sh and you sh shall bring a drink offering half a hen of wine for an offering made of by fire and a sweet savor unto the Lord. Thus it shall be done for one bullock or one ram or one lamb or a kid. I'm going to stop there at verse 11 because there's a lot I'm there. I'm not there. giving my kids up. <laughs> You're not giving one. my kids. <laughs> All right, the people have basically turned away from God. They rebelled against God. And God starts talking to Moses. You know, they're getting ready to wander. How long did he say they were going to wander? 40 years. 40 years. One day, one year for each day that they spied out the land. And during that time, they're all the people over 20 are going to die because God said they were not allowed to enter the land because their complaint was that when we go in, we'll die and our, our wives and our children will die. So God said, so as you said, you'll die, but your children will be the one to go into the land. Yeah. And so in verse 2, it says, God says, when you come into the land of your habitation, and I want you to note that when. It's not if you come in the land. But when you come into the land, 40 years from now, when you come into the land, you, that, that is your habitation, and will make an offering by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering, a sacrifice performing a vow, and a free will, or a free will offering, or you're in your solemn sweet feast to make a sweet savor unto the Lord your, your God. These sacrifices are the sacrifices that we covered in Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus, and a couple of them already in Numbers. So we're going to be going over these, not real 
extensively because we've covered these many times already. Okay, so the first one is a, is a offering by fire. It's consecration. It is, the, it is part of the meat offering, okay, that, that they're talking about. The second one in the meat offering is that consecration offering. You're agreeing to, you're, you're giving God your food, basically, the flour and the, and the wine for the drink offering. He's going to later on include that in all of their offerings. Okay, the burnt offering. Now, what, what, what happens in the burnt offering? All gets burnt up. Every part of it gets burnt up except for? The, the leather. The leather. The hide, the leather. Given to the priest. It gives it, that's given to the priest who made the offering. And what does the burnt offering represent? Total submission to the Lord. Dedication, dedication, submission. All right. The sacrifice and the performing a vow. Does, does anybody remember what happens on the, the vow offering when you give a vow? You would give the offering. And this was the one that was the, the shared. It's the party with God. God gets a part, or a picnic with God. God gets his part, the priest gets his part, and then the rest of it is given back to the person, and they have to consume it within one to two days, depending on whether it was a free will vow or a mandatory vow. Mm -hmm. So to get the whole thing eaten, and at the end of the, end of the time, it had to be burnt. So to get the whole thing consumed, you'd have a big party, especially if you offered a bullock, which is a big cow. So if you offered that, you'd get half of that back and you'd have a great big feast to get rid of that cow as quick as possible and everybody gets to celebrate with you for God. So that was a kind of a party. That was kind of a party. Party with God. Party with God, yes. You gave God his party, went on the altar and got burnt. The priest took a shoulder, a shoulder or, or thigh, whichever it was, and then you got the rest of it back and it had to be consumed within a period of time. So it's just basically barbecue. It was a barbecue. Well, you got to take it home and barbecue it. It didn't get, it, the actual thing did not get put on the altar except for the innards. The, the liver and the fat the and the... pushed to... The skin was not in that one. Yeah, the skin uh, got... Yeah. I was going to say they got given to the priest. That was, for, that the, was, that was the for the burnt offering. And then it says your free will offerings, which is just your act of consecration, just giving God a gift. Okay? And so, and, and if you want to look these up, uh, Leviticus 2 is all about the meal offering. Leviticus 1 is about the burnt offering. Leviticus 3 is about the vow offering. And Leviticus 7 is about the consecration offering at the very end, your free will offering. The whole chapter. All the chapters, each, each chapter in the beginning of Leviticus is about each of the five different types of offerings. And this is why we were talking about, you know, people will talk about there's going to be sacrifices during the millennial kingdom. Well, the only sacrifices that they're going to be are these free will gift offerings that are cel celebration with God. So you're having a party with God and you get to invite your friends to celebrate with you on your, on your vows. So if we're... We will be there if we're Christians. We've been raptured. We'll be there. We give these offerings as well. I don't know if we will or not because it's not that clear. But there will be offerings at that time. We will. We will be reigning with Christ and in charge of things. And I believe that. I believe it's probably just going to be the people who made it through the millennial alive. What, what happens to the Jews at the at the time of the rapture? Everything. All all the hard stuff starts happening to them. Okay. 
except for those that are saved. You know, they'll get marked. They'll get marked. You know, there's the 144 will be thousand will be marked, and then I believe that those who are saved will be marked, and they'll be protected to a degree, just as they were in the ten plagues. Some of them hit Israel. Some of them did not hit Israel. So yes, they will. They they primarily will be the ones that are going to make it through the whole tribulation period. You want to be a Christian because it's going to be no fun to have to go through seven years of tribulation. Verse 4, Then shall he offer his offering unto the Lord, he that offers his offering unto the Lord, bring a meat offering, a tenth deal of flour, mingled with a fourth part of a hen of oil. And we've talked about this. This meat offering does not mean... It's a meal offering, meat. Right? It really should be translated meal offering because it's a flour and oil offering to God. And it says a tenth deal of flour, that's approximately five pounds, and you mix that with a fourth of a hin of oil, which is a quart of oil. So it's, a, it's going to make a pretty sticky little cake. And remember with the meal offering, if you remember back when we studied it, it can be baked, fried, <laughs> Uh, any other way that you can think of cooking the flour and oil up is, is, is acceptable for this presentation. And a very small amount of that meal uh, offering was put on the fire and the rest went to the priest. So the priests are getting a lot of flour and oil out of this and a lot of cake, uh, a lot of unleavened bread this way. So this is basically going to, this offering is to feed the Levites and the priests with their flour and cakes and the and the the part that they got out of the out of the um, offerings that they would get a piece out of you, this is these offerings were the food for the priests besides what they would grow in their little section around town you know they had a little space for fields but most of their food came from these offerings so when the people did not obey God and offer their offerings and come to, the, come to the temple like they were supposed to, the priest went and the Levites went pretty hungry. And there's a, one particular story where the, they weren't even coming to the temple because nobody else was coming to the temple and it was just take care of their fields and their flocks in the cities of refuge because it wasn't worth going to Jerusalem and the temple went into disarray on multiple occasions. If you remember, both Hezekiah and Josiah spent you know, weeks clearing out the garbage. They used the temple as a garbage dump. Mm -hmm. And they would spend a couple weeks to a month trying to get all the garbage out. And then they would just celebrate when they found the Word of God. And remember, there wasn't a lot of copies of the Word of God back then. Right. Uh, especially with the Jews, because when they made a copy, they destroyed the previous copy. You were going to tell us why just because of how sacred it was. The word of God to them is more like you treat it. You don't drop it, you don't throw it, you don't write it, you know, you wouldn't write in it. It was that, it was considered that sacred. So when they would copy out a new copy, they would destroy the original. After it had been matched and, and verified, they would destroy it because that's how sacred they treated it. So in the New Testament, there, yeah, in the New Testament, there's lots of copies everywhere because basically the, Paul and them said, make copies and pass them around the churches. I don't know that they knew that they were writing scripture. They were just writing letters of pastoral care to their 
to their churches, there are many that really believe that they knew they were writing scriptures. I'm not of that opinion. I think they were just writing very strong pastoral letters to these churches and God told them what to say and, and made them, you know, his word breathed out. Uh, and, but that's being a good teacher anyway. So we've got this drink and meal offering. And then the drink offering is a fourth part of a hint of wine for a drink offering shall you prepare with the burnt offering or sacrifice for one lamb. And a fourth part of a hen is basically uh, that pint again, or the quart, excuse me. So when you gave your offering, you were, God says, okay, now when you go back into your land, I'm going to increase your offerings, okay? The drink, the drink and the meal offering were voluntary, but he's going to say, when you get into your land, you're going to make these an offering. Why? Because he knew he needed to support the priests. And this was their support. There was also coins and everything that people put in uh, with, with their offerings. And, gold coins, right? Huh? Gold coins, right? Well, depending on what you had. I mean, gold, silver, yeah. brass, I mean, whatever coin you had to use. But just like we do in our day, God said it wants a tenth of it, so they brought in whatever a tenth was of their what they had. Half a nothing. Well, if they had half a nothing, I'd give them, give God a whole of nothing. Uh, so we have this offering that God is intensifying. He says, when you get to your land, you're increasing this. And it's, people really think about the, about the Bible talking about a tenth. But when you add up, it's been said that when you add up all these offerings that they had to do five times, you know, all the feast days, if they participate in the feast days, if you offered a free will offering one, even once a month, you would be closer to 33% of your income going to the tabernacle and the, and the temple because that was, all of that was, was involved. So, but they also didn't have a large tax, especially before they got a king. They didn't have a tax either. So the church literally took care of the poor and the needy and just as it should be. When the government took over all of that, takes over all of that, taxes go up and problems happen. And it's hap happening in our country and it's happened all through history. Every time the government takes starts taking care of the poor, it falls apart. <laughs> and the system falls apart because government has to make this blanket rule and it doesn't look at, does this person really need help? Just as you guys were talking about the people that panhandle. Most of them don't need help, which makes it hard on the handful that do need help. And because people get callous toward them. And so this is why the church should be the one helping out because they're the one that gets to know people at a very personal level and says, okay, this person is sick, has been sick, has, has these kids, their farm, their farm you know, barn burnt down, so we're gonna help them get back on their feet. Uh, the government just says, nope, you can't because you don't, your, your income is too high and you have too much property or whatever it might be and they don't help many that need help and they help many that don't need help because it's just one big <laughs> rule. And that, ha that has happened all through history. Over and over again that has happened. Verse six, for a ram you shall prepare a meat offering, two deals of flour and a third part of a hen of oil. And for a drink offering you shall offer a third part of a hen of wine for a sweet savor unto the Lord. So in this case it's, it's twice as much flour, about 10, 10 pints of flour, 
with approximately a quart and a pint of oil and a quart and a pint of wine. Okay, we didn't review this, but what, is wine, what does oil represent in this? The Holy Spirit. Now, does anybody remember what the flower represents? Okay, number one, it's fine flower. It doesn't really mention it here in numbers, but it's, it's fine. fine right? It's the really fine flower. It's just the kernel that this particular flower is. And it's not mentioning it here, but we know because we've dealt with this in other places. The flower represents humanity being mixed together and crushed into one group. And it takes the inner core of it and makes us into one, one body of Christ, one congregation. So it's a symbol of that unity of that. And how about wine? Does anybody remember what wine means? Wine represents blood and tribulation and trials. Okay, so they're pouring out the, the tribulation to their tribulations to God. You're just gonna, we're going to keep going over these things, and eventually you guys are going to be, I know those answers. <laughs> All right, when you prepare a bullock for a burnt offering or a sacrifice in performing a vow or a peace offering unto the Lord, so this is the, the burnt offering, the whole consumption, or the, or the vow, which is the celebration with God, or the peace offering, which is your sin offering, you shall bring a bullock of meat offering of three tenth deals of flour. So you got 15 pints of flour and a half a henna oil, or about a half, half a gallon of oil. And you shall bring a drink offering, half a hen of wine, for an offering made of fire, a sweet savor unto the Lord. All right, and then verse 11. Thus shall it be done for one bullock, or for one ram, or for one lamb, or a kid. Now, Lynn says she's not giving up any of, my, any of her kids. My, my stepmom always, when people asked her about how her kids were doing, she'd tell them she didn't have any goats. <laughs> yeah, she, you had to ask her how her children were, were doing because uh, she, she would tell you she didn't have any goats. <laughs> uh, when we get offended about Rugrats, don't call my children Rugrats. According to the number that you shall prepare, so shall you do everyone according to their number. All that are born of the country shall do these things after this manner, an offering made by fire, a sweet savor unto the Lord. And if a stranger sojourn among you, and whosoever be among you of your generation, and will offer an offering made by fire, a sweet savor unto the Lord, so shall he do. One ordinance shall be both for, shall be both for you and the congregation, and also the stranger that sojourns with you. An ordinance forever of your generations as you are, and so shall your stranger be before the Lord. So this gets a little, you've got these rules and it says however big the offering needs to be, you have one rule. You're going to follow, you know, maybe a smaller amount but you're, or a greater amount depending on how large it was, but there was one rule. Burnt offering, meal offering, drink offering. And you noted that there was a pattern for each one of these. Say that again. Your, your, your offering, your meal offering, and your drink offering. That was the pattern for all of these, whether it was a, a lamb, a ram, or a bullock, okay, the same pattern. Just a little more, the bigger the offering was for the animal, the bigger your offering for your meal offering and your drink offering had to be. 
Now, there was no real provision that said you couldn't offer more, but you had this minimum number. But I love this part here, verse 13. All that are born in the country shall do these things after this manner in an offering, a sweet savor, in verse 14. And then if a stranger sojourn among you, or whosoever be among you in your generations, and will offer an offering made by fire, a sweet savor unto the Lord, as you do, so shall he do. Okay? This is what we've been talking about all the way back in Exodus. The Jews made it so a Gentile could not make an offering in the tabernacle and temple. But God said, if there's a Gentile who wants to make an offering to me, they were allowed to bring it to him under the same rules that the Jews did. If you're familiar with the temple especially, there was the court of the Gentiles, and then you had the court of the women, and then you had the, where the, the men could go, and then you had the priests going into the, into the temple itself. So the Gentiles were even considered lower than women, and, and in the Jewish mind, women were pretty low. Okay, and Gentiles were lower than them. But God said, hey, the strangers can come in and make an offering. Now, I don't know if a, if a Gentile ever came to the tabernacle or temple to make an offering, but God said they could which when you take away the Jews look to Gentiles as being worthless and we're not going to deal with them you know, and God gave us this and we're going to hold on to it real tight and nobody else is going to share it they weren't in obedience to God and it's very sad their separation and isolationism was against what God said over and over in the Pentateuch and again, I don't know for sure whether any Gentile ever tried to make an offering. Once the temple was built, we know they didn't because there were signs all over the place saying they weren't allowed to go any further than they did. And God was always in the beginning. I want the Gentiles to come. I want them to come and worship me. Let them in. And they did not let it happen. They were, to be the pre they were supposed to be the priests to the world. Which... When they offered Jesus as the sacrifice lamb, they were performing their duty to the world to offer the Passover lamb as the priestly nation for the world. So they were doing what they were called to do, even though they did, not, they did it for all the wrong reasons. And there's lots of times when we can do the right thing the wrong way, where you do something that's correct and right, but you do it the wrong way. Yeah, for the wrong reasons and, and not do it properly. So I just wanted to point this out. We've pointed it out before on several occasions that Gentiles were supposed to be able to come and make offerings. And yet they weren't. They were rejected. They were cut out. If you weren't circumcised, you weren't allowed to come in by their statement. And God didn't say that, these gen that they had to come in. Now, he did say that there's one law, so they might, that's where they come up with this isolation part. You know, you're not circumcised, you can't come in because we're circumcised. But that's not what the actual offerings ever talk about. The circumcision was just a sign that you were a Jew, that you were a believer, that you were part of the family. Okay, verse 15. And one ordinance shall be for both you for the congregation and for the stranger that sojourns among you, an ordinance forever of your generation, and so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law and one manner shall be for you and for the stranger that sojourns among you. So God keeps repeating this over and over. 
one law, one way of worshiping. And this goes into this whole thing. God did not want, and there's been countries that have done this, one set of laws for natives, and then another set of laws for anybody who wasn't native. Okay? And very problematic when that happens. We see a little bit of that even in our country sometimes. Okay, verse 17. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children and say unto them, When, again we've got that when, When you come into the land, whither I bring you, then it shall shall be that when you eat of the bread of the land, you shall offer up a heave offering unto the Lord. Ye shall offer up a cake and the first of your dough for a heave offering as you do in the heave offering and the threshing floor. So shall you heave it. Of the first of your dough, ye shall give to the Lord a heave offering of your generations. Does anybody remember the heave offering? Yes. It's lifting it up before the Lord. Okay? And in this case, he's talking about the bread. The dough. You're going to present to God the first part of your dough. Yeah, I've read that. Okay. And the heave offering in the sanctuary was you took the leg and you lifted it up and, and then it was dealt with and burnt or whatever was going to happen. It goes to our whole idea. We're offering to God. We're working on our vertical relationship with God. What was the other one? Does anybody, that does not mention here, does anybody remember the other one that's not wave. the heave offering? The wave offering, which was side to side and represented your fellowship with people, the, the horizontal relationship with people. All right. What does that mean? Working horizontal, dealing with people, your relationships with people, your love for people, your caring for people, oh. your meeting their need, as opposed to your vertical getting right with God. And it forms the cross, obviously, in the same time. Up and down for the heave and wave for the wave for individuals. And that is what happens is Jesus on the vertical side corrected us with God and on the horizontal side he created the bridge that gets us over sin into heaven. Mm. Okay? So even the very cross when Jesus died was that same vertical correction and horizontal correction. Was that an messianic sign in the book? I don't know if messianics uh, did that, but I mean it was one of the things that the offerings were wave and heave. You know, did they, did they associate it with the cross? Probably not. When, when Passover paints the, paints the do doors on the lintels, the head, and the base, it forms, it forms a cross. The cross has been in the Old Testament without saying this is the cross. Right. Okay? The, the, when we did the beginning of Numbers, we showed how the very layout of the tribes form a rough cross. It's twice as many people on the one on the on the south side as there are on the northeast uh, northeast and uh, west. It forms a cross. So if you were looking down from high enough, you would see a cross. When God looked down upon His people, He saw the cross. He saw what Jesus was going to do, so He could be forgiving of them because He saw them complete under the blood. Even though many of them rejected Him, He saw the blood of Christ that was going to be shed. Okay. There's all of these things. And remember when, when they went to the, the, the waters of Murrah, what did they throw into the water to make it pure? Tree. A tree. A cross. Okay. We see over and over again the picture of the cross in the Old Testament that God is saying, it's coming. 
It's coming. This is, this is why I can forgive you, because I am already seeing the cross. Okay? And so this is, God has always dealt with people through all of time through the cross of Jesus, even though it was going to be in the future. How could he do it because it was in the future? Because he lives outside of time, and as far as he was concerned, Jesus was the lamb slain from before the foundation of the earth. Before he even laid the foundations of this universe, Jesus said, okay, I'll die. You know, you're, we're going to create them. They're going to fall, and I will pay the price. As soon as he said, I will pay the price, God said, they're forgiven. The blood has been shed. Okay, even though it was going to be sometime later on, as soon as he said he would do it, because he is true and he will follow through, he was, the blood was what was dealing with. And when Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't a surprise to God. He already had the plan as we already, because the very first quote of the Messianic promises, Genesis 3.15, he shall bruise the serpent, uh, the serpent shall bruise his heel and he shall crush the serpent's head. You know, and it will be her seed. God already knew the plan and had it already in place before he even created man, probably even before he created the angels that fell, because he goes, this is going to be the plan. They're going to fall, they're going to, then we're going to create man, they're going, to, they're going to get man to fall, and then we're going to buy, redeem man. It's an amazing story that has been out there forever, and God has always dealt through the cross. So never buy into, there was one way that they got to heaven, and that was by following the laws. No, they, the laws never got them to heaven. As, as Paul tells us in Romans, the only thing the laws did was tell them that they were sinners. Mm-hmm that they needed to keep making these sacrifices in a symbol and symbolic reference to the future. They looked forward to the cross. We look back to the cross. All right, verse 22. And if you have erred and not observed all these commandments which the Lord has spoken unto Moses, even all that the Lord has commanded you by the hand of Moses, from that day the Lord commanded Moses and henceforth among your generations, okay, there, here's an if, we're getting ready to get into then. If, if you have failed to keep all the laws. Now this is an if that says, and you haven't. <laughs> 22, and if. Okay, and if you have accidentally you know, broken any of these commandments, and we know that that is, you know, even though it doesn't have that statement in the Hebrew, and if, and you know that, it is, that this is a true statement, you're not keeping all the commandments. There's nobody other than Jesus who's ever kept all the commandments of God. How many commandments are there as far as the Jews have counted? 600 and so. And 613. 613 laws of the... 642? I don't know what 642 is. I know we discussed it. All right. Then it says very... Verse 24, then, so you have your if, and then here's the record. Then it shall be, if aught is committed by ignorance without knowledge of the congregation, and all the congregation shall offer one bullock and, of, for a burnt offering, for a, of a sweet savor unto the Lord, with the meat offering and his drink offering, according to the manner, and one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for all the congregation of the children of Israel, and it shall be forgiven them, for it is ignorance, and they shall bring their offering and sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their ignorance. 
And it shall be forgiven of all the congregation of the children of Israel and the stranger that sojourns among them, seeing that the people were in ignorance. So if you didn't know better and you, made, and you committed a sin, you could get it forgiven. Now, the strictness of this will come in this next side of this. And if a soul sin through... Oh, hold it, a little more on the ignorance. And if a soul sin through ignorance, he shall bring a she-goat of the first year for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sins ignorantly. Then he that sins by ignorance before the Lord to make an atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. Ye shall have one law for him that sins through ignorance, both him that is born among the children of Israel, and for the stranger that sojourns among them. So the, the, the person who lives with them says, hey, I, you know, I've sinned. I didn't know that I've sinned. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come give you the goat offering. Okay, the first one was the whole congregation sins. And we see plenty of that over the, over the times when they're not reading the word of God. And I loved it in Nehemiah when we covered this last week. The people came to Nehemiah and said, read the book of the law to us. Because they hadn't had it. They hadn't been reading it. They'd been all over the... All over the the, the Babylonian and Chal, uh, Chaldean Persian and Medo-Persian Empire, and now they were back and they hadn't been reading the word of God. And it says they stood from morning to noon. How would you like to have a church service where you stood for three, three plus hours? Stood. And everybody stood. And then they wept because of all the laws that they had broken. Because all of a sudden they started learning about the feast that they, were, that they weren't... Uh, observing and all that was going on and Nehemiah and Ezra and the priest taught them what the Bible meant and then the next day the leaders came and said tell us more so we can correct what's been going on it is powerful when you see what happens when the Word of God is taught and this is one of the reasons I am so adamant that we teach the Word of God and we keep lifting up God's Word and we keep bringing his word up, because God says his word does not return void. This is why I encourage everybody, read the Bible every, you know, read through the Bible every year, because it is important to get that information into you. It gets stuck. It gets stuck in your head, and you'll be really surprised sometimes how much you remember about things when all you did was read about it. And then you get taught about it over and over and over again. And we see that coming out. Verse 30, but, and remember, that means something is changing. But the soul that does aught does presumptuously, shall either he, whether he be born of the land or a stranger, the same reproaches the Lord, and the soul that shall be, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised the word of the Lord and broken his commandments. That soul shall utterly be cut off, and iniquity and his iniquity shall be upon him. Presumptuously. This is the person who goes out and says, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And there are a lot of people that are that way in our day. Now, many of us kind of just find ourselves in a sin. You know, now how you do, you know, it's kind of questionable how you find yourself in because you have to make a number of decisions. But there are times when you just find out that you followed the wrong path, and all of a sudden you've committed a sin. 
That is not what this is talking about, a presumptuous. That falls under ignorance. Even though you knew the law and all of a sudden you found yourself wrapped up and you just wander off into the wrong direction because you're not paying attention to God, you're not paying attention to his word, not paying attention to what's going on. But this presumptuous, the person who is despising God's word, God, I don't care, I am going to steal, commit adultery, co commit fornication, homosexuality, murder, whatever, whatever it is, and you say, I am just going to do this because I don't care. And I hope you've never done that in your life. It, it's, you know, uh, many people have. They just say, I'm going to sin because I'm going to sin. I have. I've done it once in my life, and there was no joy. There was no joy in that sin. It, nope. It's, you know, it, because I knew I was wrong. God was convicting me the whole time, and, and we've got to understand. And when I say there was no joy, there is joy and pleasure in sin for a season. Okay. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. Okay. A short time, very short time. When you go, when you lie, what are you, what are you getting from it? You're trying to. You're, you're staying out of trouble for, for a short time until they find out what the truth is. If you steal, you're, you know, you, hopefully you're stealing for some need that you have. And that is, most people will understand, if you steal because your family's hungry, you're still stealing, you're still going to be punished, but people have a much greater understanding of why you did it, rather than, I'm just trying to get as much as I can from everybody. Because he, he shall be utterly cut off. That means literally if we remember back in there, they were actually kicked out of the camp. God's issue for the camp was it was to be pure. People who purposely wanted to sin were not to be in the camp. Could they get back with God on their own outside? Yes, because it is the relationship between God and them. But they were not allowed to be in the camp because they had shown that they were a basically a cancer. And you think about this and People who steal hang out with people who steal. People who lie hang out with people who lie. Okay? People who are violent will hang out with others that are violent because they, they enjoy watching that violence amongst others and, and participating in it. And it's the adage we get, birds of a feather flock together. And this will happen in churches. If somebody's coming in for the wrong reasons in a church, they'll find the other people that are like-spirited like with them. If they like to gossip, they're going to find the gossips. If they're a liar, they're going to find the other ones who lie. So this is why God said the camp needs to be pure. Get rid of those who presumptuously sin. And this isn't just somebody who has, you know, just finds himself doing it. But these are that, that, that very small, there's a very small number of people who fall into this category that I am going to sin even though I know it's wrong. Now some sin and don't know it's wrong. Okay, those who aren't in churches and everything, they sin and they don't know it's wrong and it's our job to help them understand that they are sinners so that we can give the gospel. Others just blindly walk into sin and so, and really don't understand what they've done. Okay, verse 32, we're going to see an example of something that's happening. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks on the Sabbath day. And they, found, and they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation, and they put him in a ward because it was not declared what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died as the Lord commanded. 
Violating the Sabbath for the Jews is a huge issue. Remember when the manna was being dropped at the very beginning, God said, you will take just enough manna each day for the food that you need for that day, but on the sixth day, you'll, you'll gather twice as much because manna will not be given to you on the Sabbath. And then you remember that there were certain people who, because they were so lazy, they decided, well, I'm going to gather up a whole bunch on one day so I don't have to go out tomorrow. And you remember that it stank and got moldy. Mm -hmm. All right. Then there were people who says, well, they're probably looking at the fact that it stank and got moldy you know, when people tried to get two days' worth, and they didn't gather two days' worth. And they went out looking for manna on the Sabbath, and that was one of the times God got mad at them. You know, how long are you going to test me and, and, and give me problems? And there have been times when the Sabbath has been really well watched by Israel and times when it has not been really well watched. But the Sabbath is a memorial between the Jews and God of who they are. Okay, And this is why... Gentiles do not keep the Sabbath because it was not for us. It was not our memorial between us and God. And the early church would go to the synagogue for those Jewish believers, and then they would have on the next day a meeting with the Gentiles. So this man that was gathering sticks on the Sabbath to make a fire, this is how serious God was with the Sabbath because it was what you were supposed to do on the Sabbath is worship God. It was a time of contemplation. You didn't work. You didn't, didn't start fires. You, you know, Jews like crockpots now because they can have hot food on the <laughs> Sabbath. Because you start it before sundown and you can have hot food the next, the next morning. Before, you had to keep your oven on extremely low, so, and that usually dried out a lot of food. So there were all these rules that were involved. You were kicked out of the camp. You weren't, and remember when we talked about being kicked out of the camp, that was a dangerous place to be. You yeah. were out with the wild animals. You were out, out yeah. where the enemy, enemies would come and be able to get you. It'd be like you're no longer part of the flock. You're out there by yourself trying to defend yourself. Now they probably got together in groups to try to protect themselves, but they were not allowed to be in the camp because of their presumptuous. They despise God and God said, okay, you get what you want. God has always been one that gives people what they want. And this is why it's very important for us to understand, God is not going to send anybody to hell. He's giving them what they chose. You didn't want me, you get to go to hell. That's the only two options. You either choose God or you reject him and get, get sent off. And this is why it's important. These people that blatantly said, I'm going to sin just because I want to sin, deserve to be cut off because they were going to drag down the, the camp. All right, one last section here. We're going to see how long it takes us to get through this one. And the, verse 37, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them that they make them fringes in the border of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put the fringe on the borders, a ribbon, ribband, of blue, and it shall be unto you for a fringe, and you shall look at it and remember all the commandments of the Lord God and do them, and that you seek not after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you use to go a whoring, that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God, for I am the Lord your God, 
which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So this is talking about the fringes that the Jews wear even to this day on a lot of their clothes. A lot of their shirts still have it. Uh, their prayer shawls have these fringes and tassels. Mm -hmm. And what they do with them is they knot them in a certain way you know, to represent God's law. And I've looked them up and I still don't understand what they do, but they knot them in a certain way that represents the letters and the alphabet and the, and the numbers that the alphabet represents. And they have, are knotted in a way that totals to 613. 613 laws of God and it's to remind them all the time of the law. And when they look at these fringes, they're to remember the law. And also part of the knotting will spell out God's name throughout these knots. And they use these knots to help them with their prayers and, and, and that type of stuff as well as they're remembering the commandments of God. So God told them to do this. And Jesus talked about the Pharisees and the scribes and he talked about their phylacteries being wide. Do you remember what the phylactery is? That was a wooden box that had scripture written in it. And you were to wear it on your right hand or on your forehead. Uh, and it wasn't so much, I do not believe that God was telling them to wear the box upon their head, but put the word of God before your <laughs> inside your head and think about it. And on your right hand, which is your hand of work, your hand of, of, of approval. He, he really had never made, you know, told them, because he just said, put the word of God on your on your forehead, on your right hand. And he literally, I think, they took it too literally. And Jesus said, you know, to the scribes and Pharisees, you, you make the phylacteries wide. You want everybody to know that you've got this, you know, box that sticks out beyond your head and it's got a scripture in it and, 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 and written on your hand is a box that was big. And he says, and your fringe is long. Mm. These are what he's referring to, these tied, knotted fringes that were to remind them of the commandments of God. How do you spell that word? I'll have to tell you later because I'd have to look it up. Okay. It starts out with a PH. What? PH is how it starts. PH. So God was saying to them, I want you to do things. And God always was doing these memorials. Do this so you remember. When they crossed the Jordan at when they finally go into the promised land, he says, take 12 stones out and make this big pillar so that when your kids see that pillar and ask you, what, what is it about? You can say, this is what God did. The mm -hmm. Passover is a memorial of how God delivered them out of Egypt. And then for us as Christians, we know that Egypt represents sin. God delivers us through the cross out of Egypt into freedom and victory of and to the promised land where we live in a spiritual victory. Okay, so all of these things have things for, for the Jews to remember and application to the Christian. The tabernacles, Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Trumpets, all the feasts that we covered long, long while back all have things that they mean. And they were fulfilled, four of the seven ones were fulfilled by Jesus on, on, on his last week of, of living. The, he was the, I have to look him up, but I brought him down, but he was the Passover lamb and he was the first fruits and he was the, 
Passover, first fruits. I can't remember the seven, seven ones. I, the line. Uh, no, the, and Pentecost was 50 days thereafter, so the birth of the church. So Jesus fulfilled four of the feasts already. The spring feasts are already fulfilled. The fall feasts are yet to be fulfilled, and that is when he will come back for the Jews. He'll come back for the church. He'll come back to reign in the millennial kingdom. So we've got the future feast coming. So, and I've got the notes someplace that we can look up. All right. Any questions? Comments? Get to 41. Made it through the end. The very end is God's statement, I am your, the Lord your God who's taken you out, so, out of Egypt. All right. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for just how much you love us and you care for us. We thank you for your word and, and how much you really do care for us. We just thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen.